0: Coming up on The Exam Room. If memory serves, these were not
1: originally created for weight loss, were they? They were really marketed initially for diabetes. And and they do reduce blood sugar uh, to a degree. And they also cause some weight loss. And that got people excited. What if I don't have diabetes? I just want to lose weight. Let me take this uh, drug. And what the drugs do is that they interact with the brain to turn down your appetite. And so the, the effect is not enormous. It, if you're 100 pounds overweight, you're not going to lose 100 pounds on in the vast majority of cases. But you might lose 30, 35 pounds. And so that feels pretty good to people. And they've been ready to line up at the, the cash register. Comes along with the cost. Apart from the money, there is also heck to pay in the bathroom. I mean, people are nauseated and vomiting and they get diarrhea. And that's, those are very common side effects. They sometimes go away with time They sometimes don't. And then the more serious issues are gallbladder problems, pancreatitis. A French study suggested that thyroid cancer was about 58% more likely in people using these drugs. And and those are all the risks over relatively short-term studies. The longer-term risks are really anybody's guess.
0: How alarmed should we be that we're seeing a potentially positive correlation with cancer when we're talking about such a short-term study? Most studies that I'm aware of that deal with a chronic illness such as cancer, they're a little bit more long-term than this.
1: Right, and, and, and I think your concern, Chuck, is exactly on point because these are not drugs that are intended for short-term use. They will freely tell you that if you stop paying, you're gonna get all that weight back.
0: Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Downey, California, Syracuse, New York, and Krakow, Poland. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 54 of season six, number 450 overall. New projections show the weight loss drug market will be worth an eye popping $60 billion within the next decade. And already a lot of people who are battling the bulge are paying thousands of dollars every single month just to shed those unwanted pounds. However, A much less expensive and more effective treatment without any side effects is also available right now. So on tap today, we are going to be talking about Wagovi and Ozempic, those pricey monthly injections that have been seeing a massive surge in popularity. As a matter of fact, the demand for these drugs is so great that manufacturers, they're struggling just to keep up with that demand. But for many patients, these so-called miracle drugs come at a steep cost that is not just limited to their wallet. They're also paying the price of unwanted side effects. So what is that right decision and what are the alternatives when it feels like these shots could be their final shot at losing weight? We're going to get into that. Also today, we are opening up the doctor's mailbag and answering questions from exam roomies who joined us live. As a reminder, we do this live every Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook. And I also hope that you can join us live in New York City on July 12th as well.
1: It's your friend Rip Esselstyn. Come get Plan Strong with me on July 12th in New York City. I'll be helping to celebrate an incredible 14 million downloads of the exam podcast with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. My doctor friends, Neil Barnard and Robert Osfeld will also be there to make a toast to the most heart healthy night of your life. Lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol, lower the risk of heart disease or even reversing it. Plus foods and tips that will help get you to chart a new course to a healthier future. But to get there, you have to be there in New York City, the Big Apple. Don't wait, get your tickets today and I'll see you on July 12th. Congratulations, Chuck, and now let's all get planned strong together.
0: pcrm.org slash events, or just click that link in the episode notes right now to get your tickets and join us live and in person. All right, it is time to talk about weight loss drugs. Is the risk worth the reward? Dr. Neil Barnard and I right now talk about it on The Exam Room. I feel like it's been far too long, my friend.
1: It has been too long, but it's great to see you, Chuck
0: great to see you as well let's go ahead and dive right in 60 billion dollar industry for weight loss drugs business is truly booming and i thought about you last night this is when i shot you the email i saw a report that these these weight loss drugs they're they're just booming everywhere and as a matter of fact, there are 273 million videos about them alone on TikTok that have been viewed more than 1.2 billion, uh, viewed 1.2 billion times, 1.2 billion times just about weight loss drugs, which if you think about it, Dr. Bardard, not exactly the sexiest topic, but fair to say that these things have kind of gone mainstream, haven't they?
1: They've gone mainstream, and that's for a reason. It's because of commercial promotion. It's if you want to make a, a record sell, if you want to make a movie sell, you promote it like crazy. And Novo Nordisk, which is the manufacturer of Wegovy and Ozempic, is promoting them like crazy. They spend about $25 million on direct payments to physicians to have them talking about these drugs. They're lobbying Congress like crazy, and they are lobbying the press enormously. And there's a reason for that. We have 93 uh, million Americans who are in the obesity range, right, regarding body weight, and if you were to get all of them, theoretically, on Wagovi, you know how much that would cost? That would cost about a trillion and a half dollars. Can you imagine, you know, Novo Nordic says, you don't have to tell me we want to line up to stick our hand out and get a trillion and a half dollars a year. Now, that, that's not going to happen. But what if you got one in 10 obese people on Wagovi? That's $150 billion you would get every single year. So the figure you gave, Chuck, I think is conservative. I think that they are aiming even higher.
0: Mm. Well, let's uh, talk to me a little bit about how these drugs are supposed to work. Uh, give us the reminder there, because if memory serves, these were not originally created for weight
1: loss, were they? They were really marketed initially for diabetes, and, and they do reduce blood sugar uh, to a degree, and they also cause some weight loss. And that got people excited. What if I don't have diabetes? I just want to lose weight. Let me take this uh, drug. And what the drugs do is that they interact with the brain to turn down your appetite. And so the, the effect is not enormous. It, if you're 100 pounds overweight, you're not going to lose 100 pounds on Wegovy in the vast majority of cases, but you might lose 30, 35 pounds. And so that feels pretty good to people. And they've been ready to line up at the, the cash register. Comes along with a cost. Apart from the money, there is also heck to pay in the bathroom. I mean, people are nauseated and vomiting and they get diarrhea. And that's, those are very common side effects. They sometimes go away with time. They sometimes don't. And then the more serious issues are gallbladder problems, pancreatitis. A French study suggested that thyroid cancer was about 58% more likely in people using these drugs. And, and those are all the risks over relatively short-term studies. The longer-term risks are really anybody's guess.
0: How alarmed should we be that we're seeing a potentially positive correlation with cancer when we're talking about such a short-term study? Most studies that I'm aware of that deal with a chronic illness such as cancer, they're a little bit more long-term than this.
1: Right. And and, and I think your concern, Chuck, is exactly on point because these are not drugs that are intended for short-term use. They will freely tell you that if you stop paying, you're going to get all that weight back. So the drug is really given to you for a ransom, so to speak, or a membership, if you want to put it more nicely. As long as you pay, the weight stays off. But when you stop paying, the weight comes back on in the vast majority of cases. So it's, a, it's, it's only a temporary effect. So let's say after 10 years, you get tired of paying. It's, the cost is about $1,300 a month um, after manufacturer coupons that's about $15,000 a year. And if after 10 years or so you don't want to pay or your insurance will not pay, um, then you're just going to go back to where you started.
0: Do we know why there is such gastrointestinal upset with these drugs in a lot of patients? And it also reminds me of another popular uh, weight loss can't miss solution back in the day. It was something that was a uh, I think it was like an alternative to oil or something, Olestra, it was marketed as Olean, like potato chips were fried in it. I do believe back in the day, but people stopped eating that stuff because it upset their stomachs so badly. And I'm just curious, what is it about these particular weight loss drugs and others that make us so prone to having, you know, an upset stomach?
1: Well, these drugs are an analog for what we call GLP-1. This is a natural compound. Your intestinal tract makes it. So when you eat food, especially carbohydrates, healthy foods, your body makes some GLP-1, goes to the brain, and it turns off your appetite. This is part of your natural uh, mechanism to say, I'm eating now, you can stop eating pretty soon. It's your appetite control. And so all that the Wagovi or Ozempic is, is it packs into an injection more GLP-1 than your body would naturally make, or that's the net effect. It's an analog of it that they could patent. Um, And so the fact is they're pushing your body in a direction it would never have gone in. And so that's where the side effects come in.
0: A couple of other side effects of note um, that I know that uh, we recently, by the way, petitioned the FDA, if I'm not mistaken, to put a warning label on the side of these uh, drugs. But a, a couple of others that were mentioned were constipation and hair loss. Constipation, not exactly like spending a whole lot of time in the bathroom. Matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. That's not fun. But I would think for a lot of people, hair loss is also going to be a big deal.
1: Yes, I think so. Um, many people have talked about uh, what seems like premature aging, and that could just be uh, when people lose weight there. As the fat stores go away, their, their face tends to sag. So these are things that are getting people upset. But um, I have to say, Chuck, what I think matters the most is they're creating really a false narrative. And you see this from the 60 Minutes show that aired on January 1st of this year. You see this in many of the programs. The spokespersons that are on the programs are typically being paid by Novo Nordisk. And so they want to suggest, well, your problem with obesity has nothing to do with, with what you're eating. It has all to do with your genetics. You've got something wrong with your brain that your parents had and your grandparents had. And it's an inability to control your appetite. And so you need this medication to get your appetite back under control. Um, or there's something wrong with your metabolism, or you try a diet and it just wouldn't work for you, so no diet could work. I call that a false narrative because if you take that very person who was told that they had a genetic defect in appetite control, and you bring them in and give them a modest amount of support and education in a plant-based diet, the kinds of things we're using in research, where you have vegetables and fruits and beans and grains as, as much as you'd like to eat, what people discover is those high-fiber high complex carbohydrate foods, trigger the appetite control really effectively. And over the long run, people who follow that way of eating lose about the same amount of weight or more than people would would lose with Wagovi. So from my standpoint, I think of it as informed consent. That's, That's the foundation of medical practice. Patient comes in, they need information from you, the doctor, about what will work and what are my risks. And doctors should not let the patient leave the exam room, without talking about what a healthy diet can do, that makes these injections unnecessary.
0: Absolutely, uh, I, I'm going to put a pin on that just temporarily because I want to circle back to that because there's something very interesting that's happening with a particular subgroup of people who are trying to lose weight that are now seeing these drugs heavily marketed to them. Very interesting. But uh, I actually was able to pull up a copy uh, of the the warning label or or the copy for the warning label that you sent to the FDA in this petition. I'll read it verbatim for the exam roomies here. Uh, This is what uh, we propose goes on the the side of these weight loss drugs. It says, quote, a low-fat, plant- based." diet, one that is free of animal products, has been shown to be as effective or more effective at lowering weight compared with weight loss medication. Appropriately planned plant-based diets avoid the increased risks of nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, gallbladder disease, and pancreatitis, along with thyroid cancer and fetal harm associated with GLP-1 receptor agonists." So that's a pretty all-encompassing petition there. What are we expecting with this particular petition?
1: Well, I, I should say also that all the side effects of a plant-based diet are good ones. It's, it's, <laughs> not just, it's not just that you lose weight. Your diabetes gets better. Your blood pressure gets better. Your cholesterol uh, cholesterol gets better. What are we expecting? Um, this morning at quarter to eight, I got a call from the FDA, actually. Um, I was news. at home. And they called, and they were uh, busily posting uh, our um, petition to them. And they wanted to know. Uh, we we had submitted 27 references to them, scientific references, and they wanted to ask about which ones we felt should, the public should see and which ones not. So uh, Mark Kennedy, our vice president for legal affairs, and I consulted, and we've we've been working with the FDA right now. So they are. This is on their desk today.
0: That's amazing um, that they they responded already. Um, yeah. That's fantastic. I also want to underscore the fact that you said that there were 27 citations in this petition of irrefutable research, I would imagine that that carries a lot of weight when you're sending it to an organization such as the FDA.
1: It does. It carries lots of weight. I mean, we are in this to win it and we bring the science to them. That said, keep in mind, they are under huge pressure.
0: Mm.
1: Novo Nordisk not only has a lot of um, clout with the FDA, as as does every enormous uh, pharmaceutical manufacturer, but as I mentioned earlier, they pay into the campaign funds of members of Congress. Um, They pay, they max out on their campaign contributions, particularly for those who are going to be able to opine on whether Medicare should pay for Wagovi, for example. And so in turn, those members of Congress are more than happy to call up the FDA and say, you don't want to be too unfriendly to these pharmaceutical manufacturers. And that is unfortunately why you see a lot of positive press and not too many people raising the red flag that we're raising.
0: All right. Reminder, if you have a question for Dr. Barnard, you can drop it in the comments or in the chat. We're going to open up the doctor's mailbag here in just a little bit. Uh, but Dr. Barnard, a couple of times already, you have mentioned that a lot of these doctors and these experts that go out and they talk about these weight loss medications are actually being paid by the drug manufacturer. That happened to also be the case uh, for a study that crossed my desk that was of particular interest that showed that uh, there are now um, or there is, I should say, a push to market these drugs to uh, bariatric surgery patients who have regained a significant portion of their weight. Now, I make no secret about the fact that I had weight loss surgery over 13 years ago, and I credit that as a jumpstart for getting me to where I am today, however, without making major lifestyle and diet modifications, there's zero chance that I would be sitting here today. So this study, Dr. Barnard, what it did, it went in and it looked at patients uh, about eight years or so after they had weight loss surgery. And by and large, uh, they had regained about 40% of the weight that they lost. And what this study showed was that the weight loss drugs Help them lose about 10% of their body weight for a second time, or probably a third or fourth, because you got to figure the surgery was not the first attempt to lose weight. Nonetheless, the drugs helped them lose 10% of their body weight. But, in fact, this study was led by people who were being paid by, as you said, Novo Nordisk, which makes Wagovi. And there was a quote in the press release that was sent out along with this study that really kind of spoke to me. And I was hoping that you could comment on this and then I'll give my thoughts as well. And the quote from uh, this particular doctor who led the research said, there was very little published data on how to treat post-bariatric surgery weight gain. Very little data. When you hear that, what are your initial thoughts as far as jumping right into the medication waters?
1: I I think it's really unfortunate that people think of it that way, because what got us heavy in the first place, if you think about what's on the average American's plate, I mean, it's not lots of fruits and lots of healthy vegetables and things. Those foods don't have a lot of calories in them. They've got a lot of appetite taming fiber in them. But if the average American eats cheese, for example, It doesn't have fiber, it's got a lot of fat, it's about 70% fat, and so you're getting a huge amount of calories. And so you think, gee, there's something wrong with my appetite, I'm gaining weight even though I'm eating what seems like a normal amount. Wait a minute, there's nothing wrong with your appetite. What you're eating is foods that are so dense in calories that by the time your appetite control is triggered, you've taken in a huge number of calories. It's not your fault, it's the fault of the food. The average American was eating less than four pounds of cheese Back when the U.S. government started tracking back in 1909, well, today the average American eats about 27 pounds of cheese, 37 pounds of cheese, huge amounts. It's about 70,000 calories per year just from that one food. So let's say instead of taking the medication, I decide I'm not going to eat cheese. I'm not going to eat bacon, sausage. I'm going to eat healthier things. They're not so calorie dense. Your appetite is triggered after you've had fewer calories, and the weight regain just doesn't happen.
0: I agree with uh, 100% of what it is that you said, and I can tell you from personal experience very well that it comes down to education, education that is very much lacking in the majority of instances after a person has a bariatric surgery. I mean, you, you have to understand that when a person opts to have bariatric surgery, oftentimes they're looking at it like a life and death proposition. Either they genuinely are on the fast track to an early grave, or they've just basically concluded that life is not worth living in the particular body that they have at that moment. They're tired of waking up, they're tired of hurting, they're tired of what they see in the mirror. And so that leads them to make this decision. What I will say, however, is that where a lot, a lot, a lot of people get steered wrong is with this lack of education. And I always think back to the support groups that I had to attend immediately after for a couple of years, even after my procedure, where we would uh, sit down with a dietitian and even a trainer and the doctor, a psychologist. And we would, as a group, talk about our feelings, what our successes were for the week, what we struggled with. But over time, what I saw was a lot of people going right back to their old eating habits. And it got to a point where people were eating candy and drinking soda and uh, eating like ham and cheese sandwiches during these round table discussions. And I wasn't vegan at the time, but I was just kind of like, why in the world would you go back to eating this stuff? And then secondly, why is the messaging that... You're going to be okay if you can eat these things in moderation. A lot of people can eat those things in moderation, but the candidate who was there having bariatric surgery, I would say, is not among the population that can handle those types of things in moderation. If they were, they wouldn't be sitting in that particular room. So why is the messaging moderation instead of making these changes that would enable them to have long-term success? That, to me, is the most frustrating thing.
1: You're absolutely right, Chuck. And and to to say to a person, let's face it, you're addicted to certain foods, but to be on this diet that's going to help you to maintain the weight loss you've now achieved, you can have your addictive food, but only 30% as much as you really want, or 40% as much as you really want. That's like taking a person who's addicted to cigarettes, as all smokers are, and say, you can only have the first quarter of the cigarette, and then you've got to put it out. Um, addiction doesn't work that way. Once you're triggered that addictive behavior, um, you know, the floodgates are open. And it, as hard as it is to have things in moderation um, and so forth, the, the, the thing that is really easy to do or easier to do is just get these foods out of your life. You know, you say, this, this food does not love me back. This is a love affair gone bad. Let me just get these foods out of my life. And that's meat and cheese and dairy products in general, and really greasy, oily foods. When those foods are gone and, and the forgetting process helps you to say, you know, that was my past. I'm eating healthier foods now. You discover that the foods you're eating now are, are not just healthier, but they're, they're tastier for you. They work with your biology so that your appetite control comes back to where Mother Nature wanted it to be.
0: Well, let me ask you this. I think that this is kind of a fair question to ask. Is do you think that these drugs would work in conjunction with a plant-based diet, just as a kickstart to get people really going down that healthier path a little bit quicker than they ordinarily would?
1: I think some people use them for that reason. I think there are weight loss experts who use them for that reason. I'm not sure that that's justified, though. I have to say, um, I, I understand the idea, but the problem is that when you stop that artificial control that comes from the, the pharmaceutical, then you know, then the weight you're likely to see some weight gain at that point. So what I'd, what I'd rather do is is teach you a healthy diet right now. That you feel the power of that healthy diet right now, so that you you don't have to deal with these pharmaceutical pharmaceutical complications or the risks that they entail.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? I can't wait to talk more about this with you and a whole panel of experts, um, including uh, Dr. Garth Davis uh, from Houston Methodist, a wonderful bariatric surgeon. Uh, He's gonna be joining us at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine. We're all gonna be sitting down and talking about weight loss drugs and bariatric surgery, both from the clinician and the patient perspective. I, I first of all, I'm humbled to be included in that. Um but second of all, let's talk about this panel because I really think, you know, biasly, I will say this is kind of like the keynote of the entire conference for me. But let's talk about this panel. what are we What are we talking about specifically here?
1: Yeah, well, well you actually you you said it, uh, Chuck. Um one person that I should also highlight is in addition to Garth Davis, who does surgery, He does uh, uh, bariatric surgery. And we'll talk about the role of surgery and the role of diet changes, both to get people ready for the surgery and to keep them some afterwards. And the fact that sometimes it makes makes the surgery unnecessary. But we're also going to have Dr. Jamie Kane with us from New York, who uh, has he heads um, the uh, an obesity treatment program at one of the major medical centers in New York, and is going to talk about what is the role for drugs. Uh, and I think he will say that there is a role for them in certain circumstances. So we're gonna bat that around. Dr. Hanna Kaliova is gonna come in and talk about the role of diet, not just in appetite control, but in actually triggering your body to release the very GLP-1 that these drugs are designed to stimulate. In other words, as I mentioned earlier, your body makes it. Um, Can certain foods augment that effect in a natural way? And Spoiler alert: The answer is yeah. There are certain foods <laughs> that that. So Hannah's going to show you how.
0: Oh yeah, I love Dr. Kaliova. She is uh, literally one of the smartest people I know. Um, And I tell her that every time she comes on the show, she is uh, so steeped in that research and just lives and breathes it, as does everybody else on this panel. Here's the full rundown of it. Uh, In addition to you and myself, Dr. Jamie Kane is uh, and Dr. Garth Davis, as you mentioned, Dr. Jim Loomis, our colleague over at uh, the Barnard Medical Center, Dr. Kaliova, Dr. Steve Lohm, and Dr. Vanita Rahman. So we're really going to have a really slick, well thought out, thorough conversation. That's going to be Friday afternoon. Ironically, right after lunch. So I think that that's the perfect time. Right.
1: I, I think it is. Um, the uh, International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine is uh, August tenth through the 12th. I think it's going to be our best one yet. Um, obviously, people adore the conference food. But the, uh, the intellectual aspects and the, the, the learning that people take away with it, plus the personal connections they take away with them are, are just really available nowhere else
0: it's it's a top-notch conference really really is uh washington dc as you said dr barnard august 10th through 12th some other names who are going to be speaking at the conference because it is three days it's not just that particular panel Uh, senator cory booker is actually going to be helping to kick everything off for us this year I'm really looking forward to hearing him speak and then we're gonna close with dr. Michael Greger always a fan favorite dr. Dean Ornish this is another presentation that I am just salivating to see I cannot wait to see his research on Alzheimer's dr. Christy funk is going to be there dr. Andrew Freeman he's gonna be re- reviewing the entire year in nutrition research I love it when he does that he's done that here on the show it is fascinating dr. Gemma Newman uh, my co-host for One Healthy World, she's going to be there, as will Brenda Davis, phenomenal dietitian, so great, Dr. David Katz, so many others. So you can join us right now, pcrm.org slash ICNM to secure your tickets today, pcrm.org slash ICNM. We're actually going to be recording episodes of The Exam Room while we're there as well. So really a great time, and it is kind of the highlight of the nutrition summer, wouldn't you say?
1: It, it, yeah, it is. And it really all comes together, not just in the scientific sessions, but Friday night we, we get together and we have our special dinner. Um, and this year we're going to we're gonna concentrate in the dinner um, with a presentation by Dr. Adrian Fu Berman from Georgetown, who is going to talk about the sneaky things that pharmaceutical industry representatives do to push drugs on patients and on the public. It's really eye-opening. And we have a special award that we're going to give uh, to Marty Wasserman, who last year, Dr. Martin Wasserman, was at ICNM and Marty Wasserman uh, used to be the Secretary of Health for for the state of Maryland and has been a good friend for a long time but he gained a little bit more weight than he wanted but Marty is a real athlete he has swum the Chesapeake Bay swim it's 4.4 miles he's done it 24 times well last year he was 80 years old he said I've got I got to do it a 25th time but I want to do it in my wetsuit that I wore the very first time so uh, Marty about a week ago uh jumped into his wet wet wetsuit having lost 25 or more pounds thanks to uh consulting with dr kaliova and changing his diet and he jumped in swam across the potomac um came out at age 81 having conquered really feeling like he'd conquered the world so anyway marty is going to be there we're going to recognize his achievement
0: 81 man
1: yeah yeah and an incredible athlete and he will credit uh frankly i'll credit you chuck uh for all the information that you give and dr kaliova and others because he he embraced the dietary changes that you've been talking about all this time he used he used it to slim down you have never seen a healthier looking person and to get in the water and to i mean this is an athletic achievement um, just really fantastic anyway so that's just one part of of uh, icnm it's people get together yes it's science but it's also these personal connections and 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 uh, everybody's on their own trajectory and And they learn a lot and take it home with them
0: and you know i'd be remiss if i didn't also mention that the food is
1: outstanding (laughs) the food is is really amazing Um, it's gonna be yeah it's always great but i think this year it's gonna be really special because um not only do we do we work with the grand hyatt caterers on, on on great food but um dustin harder who you know very well um our culinary expert here has been working with them to serve universal meals uh, which are the coolest foods ever because they work for any kind of diet and New York Health and Hospitals. They are bringing their chef down here to show the foods that they are now serving as part of Eric Adams new initiative. So the patient goes in the hospital and the dietitian says, here's our featured food today. and you know, it's plant-based, it's vegan. And if the patient says, no, nah, I don't think I want that. What else do you have? They'll offer an alternative, which is also vegan. And so eventually you could probably get a hunk of chicken out of them, but you got to work at it. The New York Health and Hospitals uh, system has healthy foods. They've really brought it forward like nobody else. They're going to be there. They're going to serve the exact foods that they provide. And so everyone can taste it and see how they can bring this back to Peoria to serve in their hospitals.
0: All right. Uh, Let's do an exam roomy roll call real quick. We haven't done one of those today. I want to say hi to Sonia, who's joining us from Arizona. Uh, Ante from Berlin, Germany. Very cool. Evelyn, so happy to be catching the show live, she says. Um, Very cool. I also want to say hi to Greg, who's here as well. So thank you guys so very much for checking in around the world. And uh, let's go ahead and open up the doctor's mailbag and take some of these questions that you all have been sending in today. Um, We have a couple of people who are wondering, we've, we've talked about, uh, Wagovi and Ozempic, but they're wondering if the side effects are the same for similar type of medications.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, so far as we know, they are. These are all ones that deal with the GLP access, is the way we, we would put it. There are a number of different brands, uh, some made by Novo Nordisk, some made by competitors, but the risks, we believe, are pretty much the same, so far as we know.
0: And Lori, at 1209, is wondering whether we know if these side effects are permanent or not.
1: You know... All bets are off. Um, with most of the, um, the, the really severe nausea and vomiting eventually is gonna go away for most people. It doesn't go away for everybody. Um, but for, for many, they, the GI tract does settle down and they do a little bit better. But then others probably get worse with time. If we're talking about the thyroid cancer risk that came up in a French study, one would only guess that the longer you're on at the risk, uh, the higher the risk. Same with pancreatitis, same with gallbladder disease.
0: We have a couple of people wondering when would these drugs necessarily be appropriate? Is it for their original intent, which I believe was diabetes?
1: Uh, You could make that case, but keep in mind, what does a plant-based diet do for diabetes? Uh, A plant-based diet gets the fat particles out of your muscle and liver cells that allows your natural insulin to work again. So if we make the same diet change, the need for medications goes way, way down.
0: And uh, let's see, shout out to Lori, says that uh, been vegan 16 weeks, blood pressure is down as well as nine pounds down. She says she's also sleeping better and then throwing in a bunch of emojis, including some heart and uh, or a heart and a bunch of fruit. So that's cool, Lori. Congratulations. 16 weeks. That's pretty big. What What do you think is a realistic expectation for somebody that goes this route after 16 weeks, which is about four months? What results could somebody expect to see here?
1: Well, first of all, you're going to start seeing results way before that point. Um, people start seeing, uh, let's say a person has diabetes, they got extra weight, their blood pressure is up and so forth, and they decide, all right, I'm going to try, I'll try this, this diet. And this diet that I would suggest is only plants, uh, throw out the animal products completely. So top your spaghetti with tomato sauce instead of ground beef sauce, fine. Keep the oils really low too. What happens is your, your blood sugar starts dropping on day one. Your blood pressure will drop a little more gradually and your cholesterol a little more gradually too. Your weight is gonna start dropping on day one too, but take it slow. If you lose a pound a week, that's fine. That's 52 pounds a year. If you lose a half a pound per week, that's fine. Weight comes on gradually, let it come off gradually. Keep in mind, you're not starving. You're not limiting your portion size. You're not counting carbohydrate grams. You're eating as much as you want and the weight will come off on its own.
0: All right, I'm going to say hi to another uh, over 60 star athlete here. Charles Stroner says uh, hi from Diamond Bar, California, says keep up the great work, Dr. Barnard. I'm the guy who rode up Crystal Lake at 62 years old, 62 riding up a lake. I'm not too familiar with Crystal Lake, but it sounds like it's a pretty good feat.
1: Sounds cool. Give me a call. I'll, I'll ride with you next time.
0: I love it. Uh, Here we go. Let's take a question um, from Ashley Madden, kind of change topics here just a little bit. Ashley Madden was just on the show. She sent me a DM. Uh, She's got this new cookbook out called Plant-Based Delicious. Just amazing, amazing food in there. Um, Just as a total curveball here, Ashley's wondering whether there is a maximum amount of antioxidants that can be absorbed in a single
1: meal. Do you know? That's an interesting one. Good question. When we're thinking about antioxidants, we're thinking about say the orange pigment in carrots, that's beta carotene, or the red pigment in tomatoes, that's lycopene, or the purple pigment in blueberries and grapes, that's anthocyanins. And the goal is not to get a huge amount in any given meal, but to make sure that you're eating for color kind of at every meal. And so if you have colorful foods, you'll be getting those antioxidants that your body needs. Now, I don't know the answer to the question as to whether if you max out a huge amount of antioxidants, in one meal, will your body be unable to absorb them after a certain period of time? I doubt that we're getting to that point, but I don't know, and we can look it up.
0: All right, Uh, let's get back to the topic at hand today. Marilyn, 1210, what about weight loss pills that are supposed to be all natural and safe that also offer fat burners and pills too? (laughs) She says, clean the colon.
1: Okay, um, let, let your body respond naturally to foods. There are certain foods that will ramp up your metabolism a little bit. There are certain foods that will actually help trap calories and help you get rid of them. And we could talk more about that, but the foods that do that naturally are high fiber foods and certain specific kinds of foods. I'll give you a couple of, exa- of examples. Researchers at Tufts University, some a couple of years ago, brought in individuals and they gave them either high fiber grains, like brown rice, or low fiber grains, like white rice. And what they showed is that not only is fiber filling, it triggers appetite control, that kind of thing. But more than that, the fiber, as it goes down your intestinal tract, traps calories, some little bits of fat or protein you haven't absorbed yet, and it carries them out. So you flush them down the toilet. So in other words, those were calories you never had a chance to absorb. So these foods cause weight loss naturally. So rather than go to the store and get a fat burning supplement in a capsule and pay 30 bucks at the cash register, don't do that. Go to the grocery store and get the foods that they have that allow you to really uh, tackle your appetite, trap some calories, increase your after meal burn. And and a plant based diet does all of those things at the same time.
0: Interesting question from Peter came in at 1228. Dr. Barnard, wondering whether diabetes drugs, uh, they mentioned uh, glypicide for example, wondering whether they can hamper recovery from the disease by overstimulating uh, the hunger drive and thus causing a person to overeat. Have you heard about that? Doing kind of the opposite of curbing the appetite?
1: Yeah, um, well, Well. first of all, it should be said that all of these drugs have a wide range of side effects. They're trying to do what foods would do naturally. And, and frankly, one of the biggest risks we see with them is that they can cause your blood sugar. They're, they're trying to control your blood sugar they can cause it to drop too low. And so that hypoglycemia then leaves the brain starving for glucose. And if you have that effect too many times, we worry about the long-term effects on the brain. So that for me is the bigger concern. The, The beauty of it is that if we use the diet on its own, it effectively does what the glipizide and the other medications do in a safer way without the dips into hypoglycemia.
0: All right, let's say hi to Greg, uh, who is with us today, says, you want to know how well a diet can work? Check this out. Seven and a half months in and down 70 pounds says listening to the exam room has been a huge help. Greg, that is awesome. 70 pounds in seven months. I can only imagine how great Greg must be feeling right now, Dr. Barnard.
1: Yeah, I am sure and and, and take it slow. (laughs) 70 pounds um, that fast. That's quick. Um, and I'm sure all your friends are commenting on, on, on your incredible success, but take it slow. Um, uh, you can lose weight in a nice, gradual way and you're gonna be fine. So anyway, congratulations on that. I'm sure you are inspiring plenty of other people to follow your lead.
0: Oh, no doubt. He also has a question for you. He wants to know what you might suggest when eating healthy doesn't necessarily suppress his appetite, especially at night.
1: Mm, okay, um, well, I guess a, a couple things I would say. One is we have to look at which foods have which kinds of effects on appetite. Let's say it's something like, uh, say, green leafy vegetables. Really healthy, high in fiber, um, but you might discover that after eating them, you still have a little appetite left. Often that's because they didn't have much complex carbohydrate in them, unlike, say, something like brown rice or whole grain bread. There you're getting fiber, but you're also getting a lot of complex carbohydrate which will uh, tend to tackle the appetite a little bit more effectively and make you decide, okay, let me stop eating. So uh, bring back into your diet, if you haven't already, grains, beans, those kinds of foods that bring that healthy complex carbs or, or starch that helps uh, calm the appetite. One other thing, if you look at kids at the dinner table, or if you remember back when we were kids, you know, kids didn't sit at the dinner table for hours wanting more and more and more food. They got bored and the reason is they had other things to do. They wanted to go and play, they wanted to do a game, they wanted to watch TV, they wanted to put on a play or play the guitar or whatever. Sometimes when we're older, food is sort of the only entertainment we have in our lives. Okay, note to self, if 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 food is the only thing that gives us pleasure and we're focusing on it all the time, we need to read a good book. We need to dig into a documentary. We need to have a walk in the park with a friend. We need to fill our lives with other things that are nourishing in their own way. Man, I love that. Reading is almost a bit
0: of a lost art. That's not exactly the topic of the show, but pick up a book, everybody. It it can change your life, man. There is no doubt. Let's grab two more uh, before we wrap things up today. Uh, RBM. All right. RBM is going through a bit of a rough spell here, Dr. Barnard. Hopefully we can help get them back on track. uh, Question came in at 1233. RBM says that they went vegan two years ago, but fell off of the wagon. Wondering what type of support group there might be to help get them back on track and stay accountable. So if somebody slipped up, what might you recommend?
1: Uh, Thank you. You know, there are really three elements to adopting a diet or to staying on the diet. The first is some kind of medical evaluation, see where you are now. That doesn't take long, but it's good to know your current status. Secondly, a one-time visit with a good dietitian, someone who's an expert in vegan diet, somebody who follows it herself or himself, they can sit down with you and say, let's really think about what our options might be for breakfast, lunch, and dinner that can help you. Even if it's just one visit, even if it's not covered by your insurance, um, it's, it's well worth it. And then the next step is kind of what you're asking about who can I hook up with for that long-term support? Frankly, that's why the exam room is here, because when you join into the exam room, you know that you're getting information, but you're also among friends. And so it, it's inspiring to do this. And any kind of plant-based class that you can be part of on a regular basis, you'll see them uh, on our website at pcr, pcrm.org slash events. You'll see the classes that you can join. Many of them are free. And as long as you've got that weekly, Uh, support, or whatever frequency it can be, you'll discover that you have a chance to get your questions answered, feel like you're part of something that's, that's bigger than ourselves. And that often is all it takes to stay on track.
0: Love that answer. Makes me feel good. And so does our final question of the day, which really just, I mean, it makes me laugh, to be honest with you. I'm not even sure how this is possible. It's a question from Liz. And Liz wrote in, I'm, oh boy, hold on to your hats for this one. I get 70 to 80% of my calories from different types of beans and the rest of my calories from starch, fruits, and vegetables. My question is, is more than 160 grams of fiber per day unhealthy? Liz says they are 119 pounds and about five feet, seven inches tall. Holy cow. 160 grams.
1: Uh, I guess my question is, where are you putting it? Um, if, if, you, if, if, if you look up the numbers, a half cup of beans is a typical serving. That's about seven grams of fiber. So let's say a cup of beans, that's 14 grams. If you want to get to 160 grams of fiber per day, you would have to have a little over a half a gallon of beans a day. Um, Pretty heroic, I guess, is theoretically possible. <laughs> okay, here are the numbers. A half, a half cup serving of beans, seven grams of fiber. Typical vegetable like broccoli or cauliflower, about four. A, a Typical fruit, like an apple or an orange, about three. Whole grain bread, maybe two grams a day. So that's gonna give you fiber and in a normal plant-based diet with no animal products at all, it'll add up to maybe 40 grams, uh, something like 45, 50. It depends on what, what you're choosing. 160 sounds like a lot, but I'm, I'm, well, it's frankly beyond heroic. Um, (laughs) Don't aim for that. But here's our rule of thumb. If you're eating plant foods as natural as possible, you don't need to count. You're going to get the fiber that you need, and it'll be healthy for you. Now, if you are new to beans, they're going to cause a little gassiness because your intestinal tract hasn't encountered them before. So start really small, just a little small serving, and over time you can build up and make sure they are well cooked. There are no al dente beans. Make sure they are really soft and that'll make them more digestible.
0: You know, you were talking about books just a minute ago and I would think that eating 160 grams of fiber per day would be the perfect opportunity to get some reading done because at that point you would have to have a full-blown library in the bathroom with all the time you're gonna be spending there. That is just, that's a whopper of a number right there, my friend, 160, oh my goodness gracious. I don't Don't know if we're going to. I'm telling you. I don't, I don't, (laughs) don't try that at home or anywhere else for that matter. Oh man. I don't know if we're going to be talking about that on July 12th when we do this show, the big show live in New York city, but I am fired up for this one, my friend. Let me tell you what, at the museum of the city of New York, you're going to be there. I'm going to be there. We're going to be doing the big exam room live. And we've got a panel of guests that will knock your socks off. Rip Esselstyn from Plant Strong will be joining us. Dr. Robert Osfeld, an exam room favorite. Phenomenal cardiologist. He's going to be in the house that night. And breaking news, Dr. Michelle McMacken will also be on stage with us that night in New York on July 12th. Man, this is going to be the most heart-healthy night ever, Dr. Barnard.
1: It really is. I have to say, I can't wait. We, I thought we had such a blast doing this in Los Angeles. And if anything, the New York one is even going to be bigger and better. So I can't wait. I think it's going to be so exciting. I'm super
0: pumped. So July 12th, New York City, pcrm.org slash events. And there's also a link for you to get your tickets right now in the episode notes. So go ahead and join us. Would love to see you there. And, you know, today's episode of the Exam Room Podcast has been powered by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can visit them online right now at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, spelled R-E-I t e r Such a great cause. I love getting those email updates from Allison Mahoney letting me know all the great things that they're up to.
1: It's so true. You know, Greg had such a marvelous heart for animals. And was such a sweet person. And Allison has carried this forward so wonderfully and, and is, is really thinking what can we do to bring compassion and kindness and good health back into this world. So thank you, Allison.
0: She is truly the best. Absolutely, truly the best. And you, Dr. Barnard, are also simply the best. Thank you so very much for being here today and raising our health IQ. It's kind of a, a delicate topic for a lot of people, but hopefully uh, we were able to uh, open some eyes, present some facts that really aren't being talked about nearly enough.
1: You bet. Thank you, John.
0: Every Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, join us, Facebook, YouTube, for The Exam Room Live. That is the best opportunity for you to ask our experts, like Dr. Barnard, your questions. Set that reminder, we do it each and every week. You know, I am really looking forward also to the panel at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine. I cannot wait to share my perspective as the patient with all of the physicians and everybody who's going to be joining us live in washington dc that's going to be really cool and my hope is to really help doctors and dietitians see what it is truly like for somebody who has struggled so mightily with their weight it's important that there is that perspective because if they have not experienced it themselves there's no way that they could possibly understand what the patient is going through, even if they are the doctor. So really hope to bring everything together there at ICNM and I do hope to see you there as well. All right, let's get the latest now on the research front. A new study is bringing good news for arthritis sufferers. And this study comes to us from the Osteoarthritis and Cartilage Journal. A 16 week lifestyle program based on a whole food plant based diet, physical activity and stress management was found to improve symptoms of metabolic syndrome associated osteoarthritis. That is according to the Plants for Joints randomized clinical trial. Participants, it turns out, had decreased pain and stiffness and improved physical function. They also lost over eight pounds and had improved blood sugar and cholesterol levels. Previous research has also indicated that a whole food plant-based diet can be effective for reducing osteoarthritis-associated pain. And you can find a link to the full study right now in the episode notes. A couple of quick thank yous to wrap up the show to some exam roomies who have given the show a five-star rating and a wonderful heartfelt review on Apple Podcast and on Spotify. First one comes to us from Kels Tuck, who says, These podcasts are so very helpful. The information is priceless and it is powerful. I am thankful that it has helped me to establish good habits that contribute to a healthy lifestyle. I've struggled with my weight and a number of other health issues throughout the years, and I have been on the search for answers that will help fix these issues that I've encountered once and for all. The information provided on this podcast is so very helpful as I try to learn as much as I can about healthy living. Well, Kels, I am pulling for you. Keep soaking up the information. And if you ever have a question for our experts, don't ever hesitate to send it our way. Also, thank you, Gigi, for writing that this is the best health podcast, period. She says, Chuck is now the voice in my head that is cheering me on and motivating me to stick to a healthier diet and lifestyle. Gigi, you rock. I am so thankful that you are tuning in and raising your health IQ and applying what you have learned to your own life so that you can go on and live the healthy life that you deserve. And if you would like to be featured here on the show, go ahead, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows. Look for the exam room by the Physicians Committee. Leave a five-star rating and a nice review. And for today that is going to wrap things up i want to say thank you one more time to dr neil barnard for being here and raising our health iqs and for everyone at the physician's committee i am the weight loss champion chuck carroll thank you so very much for listening and remember as always keep it plant-based